So um, Mondays is my bride and I's day of rest, and it is our natural behavior to shop a little bit on Mondays, as we did on Monday. And of course, we, you know, you know, and uh, I'm walking through the grocery store, and I realize that people are starting to freak out because there's only one box of cherry Pop-Tarts left. And I'm walking through the store humming in my head, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I'm just smiling and looking around as people are freaking out, just grabbing stuff. All right, all right. Well, we are continuing our look at the woman at the well, a faith that satisfies. And today is week two, and I I have to start with a correction. Now, we need to understand that when we're teaching God's word, we have to do our very, very, very best to always be accurate. And as best as we try, sometimes we may not be fully accurate. And in reviewing last week's message, I realized that I said something that was not completely accurate. And I want to make sure publicly that I correct that because that's the right thing to do. Last week, we talked about when Abram left Ur and came through the crescent, fertile crescent to the Holy Land, to Palestine. Uh, I inferred, I actually think I said that he came to Jerusalem first. Well, that was not accurate. Let's look to the Bible. Always go to the Bible. Genesis 12 says this, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time of the, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So I wanted to make that correction. I stand corrected. So never be afraid to admit I made a mistake. It's the best thing you can do. And if you can always take it back to the Bible, that's even better. So our focus text you'll find in John, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 42. Let's revisit that, shall we? John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back uh, once more to Galilee. So we talked about last week there was this growing competition and contention, as it were. Uh, And part of it was between the followers of John, the baptizer, Uh, and Jesus. And so what we see was there was this contention, this competition coming up. Well, praise God, Jesus and John said they were not going to be a part of the competition. They canceled the competition. Sometimes the best thing you can say is no thank you. And so we see that John reiterated his purposes and goals. One, he was the forerunner of the Messiah. John was not the Messiah. He never claimed to be the Messiah. He said he was a voice in the wilderness crying the the foreshadowing, the coming of the Messiah. And secondly, he made a statement that we as New Testament church need to be reminded of. He said that he would decrease as Christ increased. Brothers and sisters, let that be the goal of all of us. Now, we don't lose who we are. We don't become mindless uh, automatons. As Christ grows inside of us, the old us begins to die away, and the new Christ-like us begins to elevate. 
we should see more of Jesus as time goes on and less of the old man. Amen? And so John said, I must decrease. Why? That Christ must increase. And that's for all of us, including your pastor. Secondly, Jesus departed and avoided the conflict. Now, Jesus wasn't afraid of conflict, and Jesus wasn't avoiding it because he didn't have an answer to the conflict. It wasn't time. Jesus had a purpose, and he had a time frame, and he was functioning inside of that. And he's, he departed the area. He departed the conflict. And even greater than it wasn't time for what, it wasn't time for that, but it was time for ministry. Jesus had a place and a person to meet. John 1 through 5 says, and he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near a plot of ground Jacob had been given by his son. Uh, he had given to his son Joseph. And so Jesus left and went through Samaria. It said he had to go. The question is, why did he have to go? It wasn't that he didn't have options. He did have options, but he had a purpose. And his purpose what? Luke tells us, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. The reason he had to go was because he was seeking to save someone who was lost. Amen? So we find that and we, we go ahead. So this little, uh, this little piece of the Holy Land is, is pretty amazing. Let me unpack it for you a little bit. So we see scripture called it Sakar. So that, that's really a more the Old Testament name. And then in the New Testament, you'll see it referred to as Shechem. And today you might hear it referred to as Nebulous. Uh, this this little piece of property in the Holy Land is very strategically placed uh, for business for sure and for other things. It's 30 miles east of Tel Aviv and it's 30 miles north of Jerusalem. It is a, a intersection of uh, great importance. It's kind of like Greenville. If you look on the map, Greenville is an important cross section in northeast Texas. And uh, so this little, this little town... Uh, let me give you some other things about this town that you will hopefully appreciate. One is in this town, there is a place called Jacob's Well, and that's where our encounter is taking place. Now, the thing about Jacob's Well is this. Now, in the Holy Land, there's a lot of discussion, and there's not always a lockstep agreement about everything. We've talked before that in Jerusalem, there are two sites that Christians debate over which one is the tomb. There's the church of the holy sepulcher and then there's the garden tomb and that's a whole different discussion, okay? Uh, been to both of them, both of them empty, praise God. Now, in, in, in Sakar, there's Jacob's well where this encounter takes place and that was established over, you know, a thousand years earlier. This well, historically, by everyone, is agreed upon this is Jacob's well. There's no debate, there's no argument, there's no discussion, there's no, well, it might be, or well, it might not be. History, and everyone says, this is Jacob's well. Now, why is that important? Well, because, get it, well, because that tells us that this is a place, thank you, I'm going to say it one more time, just something like, well, we can go to Jacob's well, that's encapsulated inside this church and you can be exactly 
historically where Jesus was. Now, you can walk the Holy Land, and he was there. But we can go to Jacob's well, and not only can you be exactly where Jesus was, but you can drink from the well. So this church is the, the, the church of Jacob's well. Uh, it is a Greek Orthodox church. It's managed by the Greek Orthodox. And the church, as typical uh, there, is built over the, the well. This is the main chapel here, beautiful. You know, you know you're always working with the Greeks because they love blue, and I, I love that about them. And the well is actually underneath the main chapel, and this gentleman is going to take us downstairs. Now, this is the well. Now, if you can imagine, in Jesus' time, it was out in the countryside. It wasn't in here with the mosaic and everything. But this is the well. Let me give you a little better picture of it. This well is the same well that Jesus sat at, that the woman at the well, this is it. Now, this well is 120 feet deep. That's important. File that away. Now, <laughs> I'm just kind of that guy, right? So I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at this, and, you know, it, it's awesome. I mean, for a lot of reasons. But I have one critique. <laughs> Can you not get something other than a beat-up, galvanized bucket for the church? I mean, look at that. Can I back, let me back this up. Look at it. Look at that bucket. You couldn't get something off Amazon? Something that looks a little more righteous? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So you can go. We can go to the well. Also in this village is the tomb of Joseph. So if you recall, Joseph had brothers and they what? They sold him into slavery. They took them to Egypt. He took them to Egypt. Why? Because this was a trade route, right? Took him to Egypt. Famine came. Joseph was in Egypt. He helped save the Israelites. Well, when Joseph uh, died, they promised they would bring him back to the promised land. And this is Joseph's tomb. Very modest, you know. And then third is this. Through Moses, God gave detailed instructions for a ceremony of blessings and curses to take place when the people of Israel entered into, the, into Cana, into the promised land. After they were delivered out of Egypt, Moses had this ceremony planned. Now, if you remember, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land because he was disobedient to God. After the law of Moses was written <coughs> on the stones, the people were to divide into two groups. Half of Israel's tribes were to gather on Mount Gerizim. The other half were to gather on Mount Abel. While the priests and the Ark of the Covenant uh, stood in the valley between them. And this is what it looks like. That's the city, Mount Gerizim, 2,800 and some, uh, some odd feet uh, to the north. And Mount A uh, Abel, 3,000 feet roughly to the south. And six tribes were to be on one mountain. Six tribes were to be on the other mountain. And the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes the presence of God, was to be in the middle. And this is what they were to do. As the Levites read the blessings uh, for obeying the law, the six tribes on the Mount of Gerizim were to proclaim a resounding, Amen. You guys say that. Amen. Amen. That's good. Wow. wow. I tell you what, that well joke really got you going. <laughs> when the Levites recited the curse for obeying the law, 
uh, for disobeying the law, the, the other six tribes on Mount Ebal were to give a great uh, cry of amen. amen. I tell you what, I didn't give you a warning. I'm going to give you a warning this time. You ready? Amen. All right. So they were to stand, and as God's word was read, they would proclaim verbally, we believe this to be true, we receive this as truth, and by God's help, we will do this in the spirit of truth. <coughs> Joshua, the successor of Moses, faithfully and precisely carried out these instructions as recorded in Joshua. Through the solemn ceremony, Israel was reminded of the importance of loyal obedience to God and the foolishness of disobedience. And this is why Mount Gerizim is now called or referred to the Mount of Blessings. This is also the mount where the uh, Samaritans worshipped. You're going to hear about this a little more. So, let's go. John 4, 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. <clears throat> so, we see the arrival at the well. To walk from Jerusalem to Sakar is about 30 miles. And on average, a person and a group of persons can walk 20 miles in a day. Now, if you're really hoofing it and conditions are right and you just don't quit, you can do 25. So, if we are going to give Jesus and his group 20 miles a day, it makes perfect sense that he would arrive in the midday. Uh, and this is 20 miles short of where his, his ending destination was. The well was located about a mile, excuse me, about a half mile north of the village. Now you say, why in the village? Why so far outside the village? Well, this well not only served the people, but it served the cattle. And so it had to be where they could handle the livestock. You wouldn't want the livestock in the middle of your town. Uh, and also within reasonable convenience of the village. Um, when they arrived at the well, everyone but Jesus went into town because Grubhub didn't exist. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, so we are privileged in America probably all of your life. You've been able to go into a room in your home, turn on a faucet, and water comes out. Uh, we're, we're pretty privileged that way. Now, that's not the way everywhere in the world. And in this time, at this land, this was what would happen is every day you would have to go and glean water for your existence, for you to consume, to cook with, to clean with, whatever you're going to do water with. And let me say, a multitude of our world today begins each day in search of water. We are blessed and let, this is, my, this is my, my greenness coming out. And we need to be good stewards of water. We must be very good stewards. Be very mindful of how you handle water. It's also important for us to understand that for every gallon, there's eight pints, and a pint weighs a pound. I don't know if you've heard. Jeff, maybe you have. I'm an Eagle Scout. And one of the ways I remember this is the old saying, a pint to pound the world around. So for every gallon that these young ladies would carry home, it's eight pounds. Water is heavy. The world's water is heavy. So each morning and evening, the ladies of the village would gather at the well. Yes, gathering water was typically children's or ladies' work. 
Uh, they would go there, one, because it was cooler. They would go in the morning and in the evening to get enough water to, to cover the two spans. Second, it was necessary. Third, there was also a social compartment. You see gossiping around the water cooler? That's been going on a long time. But the ladies would come together. You can imagine, right? They come together and they have to take turns and all these things. It, it's an important part of the day-to-day lives of this village and the ladies of this village. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So we see a simple request at a well. I believe God had foreordained this meeting. I believe this was a providential divine appointment. Amen? And he had made things just so for it to be what it needed to be. Here are some thoughts. One, the group wasn't at the well. I think the re- part of the reason the group wasn't at the well was it would have discouraged the woman. If the woman wouldn't come to the well with the ladies of her village, <clears throat> she most assuredly would have avoided the well with a, with a crowd of Jews. She would have seen them, bout-faced, and walked off, in my humble opinion. If you're trying to avoid people, you're going to avoid a whole lot of people more than you're going to avoid one person. All right? Secondly, it would have distracted the attention. Now, I'm just going to pick on Peter. Peter's kind of like me. He's got that sanguine personality. It's the, hey, look at me, kid. Listen, if they had been there, the attention would not have been Jesus and the lady. It could have been a, a multitude of things. Third, it would have diluted the conversation. And we're going to see right now uh, that the lady did a really good effort at trying to dilute the conversation herself. <clears throat> have you ever tried to get a consensus in a crowd of 15, 20 people? If you ever want to just really kill some time, get 15 or 20 people and go, hey, so what do you think about? Wow. Here we go. God put Jesus at the well. Because the Samaritan woman was going to be at the well. This was a divine appointment on a lot of levels. Can you imagine the awkwardness? Now, I know you guys never do this. I know you don't because you're too, too righteous. But sometimes somebody wakes up and they just don't feel like having a conversation. They're just not in the mood for it. But they've got to go to town. And maybe they have to go to the grocery store. And they might be singing, it's the end of the world as we know it. And you know what happens is when you, when you feel that way sometimes, you know, you know what happens? You know what happens. You wander into those, those people, those people. Good, loving, kind. And, and you're going to find the one that, that loves to talk, you know. And, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, she didn't expect anyone to be at the well, much less a Hebrew, a Hebrew man. She didn't expect anyone to be there. That's why she went. She certainly didn't expect a Jewish man to be there. And third, she certainly, certainly didn't expect this Jewish man to speak to her. Can you imagine how awkward this conversation was? Can you imagine the tension of the moment? Appreciate the tension. And just like many people today, she defaulted to the cultural challenges of the day. Jesus asked a simple question. Would you give me a drink? 
Have you ever asked a simple question just to have it go? Oh, man, I'm telling you. You, yeah. So here is this lady and Jesus. And he asked the question, would you give me something to drink? It's a simple question. Now, we don't have the tone in which Jesus spoke. I don't think it was, give me something to drink. I don't think, I just don't ever see Jesus talking like that. I think it would be kind, would you give me something to drink? Simple, kind. Uh, But the lady defaults into the cultural challenges of the day. Well, wait a minute. I'm a Samaritan and you're a Hebrew. I'm a female and you're a male. Immediately defaults in. Isn't that the way it is today? If someone just sniffs a spiritual conversation, uh uh-oh. Oh, wait a minute. You go to church? Oh, you know what? Church is just house for hypocrites. And I always say, you're right. You'll fit right in. Or Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. Can I say this? I don't think that's true. Because if you're just in it for the crutch, that's going to be a long walk. Or or this one, uh, and and this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, is when I see people who I don't see any, any evidence of spiritual fruit in their lives, and I just happen to mention this three group, just, you know, I don't know, politicians, I love a politician who never has anything like godly fruit in their lives, but they want to quote scripture when they're politicking. And then especially when they quote it wrong, (laughs) that's the reason you don't get a lost person to write your speeches and proof text your scripture. Or performers, you know, you got to, you know, you know. Alice Cooper, if he says, I want to thank God, at least that's okay because his dad's a preacher and he claims to be a born-again believer. But performers, I just want to thank God. And then athletes, you know, I love that one, you know. I just, yeah. Anyway, she defaults into the debate and the discussion and the contentiousness of the culture of the day. And that's the way we are today. You bring up a a spiritual question in any way, shape, or form, man, the world will start fighting yet at the drop. Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a drink of living water. Here's the rebuttal Jesus gave to her. If you knew the gift of God. Now, isn't this an interesting question when you ask someone, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they go, well, I just don't know. Can I say this? If you know Jesus, you know you know Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to say it one more time because it's true. If you know Jesus, you know you know Jesus. Now, you might not be walking as tight as you should be. I mean, I get all that. But if you know, you know. He says, if you knew the gift of God. Now, this lady uh, knew of a promised Messiah. You can talk to 10 people today, and I'm going to say seven of them would tell you that somewhere, somehow, by some means, there's a promise of a Savior. Now, they may not give you all the details, but they know this concept of a Savior. And then they'll tell you, well, but I'm, I'm okay. I don't need a Savior. But she had the promise of a Savior. She had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Jewish Scripture, which the, uh, the Samaritans hold as their text, their primary sacred text. Now, she, like us, didn't know when the Messiah would come, didn't know where the Messiah would come from. 
or who the Messiah might be. That's fair. Can I say that's true for us today? You don't know when the gospel will be presented to you. You don't know where the gospel will be presented to you. And you don't know who the gospel will be presented to you by. You don't know where, you don't know when, and you don't know by who. The question is, is will you be ready? The woman went to the well not to hear the gospel. But the gospel showed up at the well. My friend, if you do not know Jesus... It could be today. This is the when. This is the where. And I'm the who. Who, who? She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How deep was the well? Does anyone remember? Nice. If I had my candy, I'd be just making it rain candy in here. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? She, re- she, re- she rebuttaled Jesus. <clears throat> now she goes from the social to the physical. It's always this distraction. It's always this. If you're having a spiritual conversation, you always have to bring it back. You always have to bring it back. You have to always bring it back because everybody wants to... So she goes from the social to the physical. You have nothing to draw from the water. Now, it was very typical that everyone brought their own bucket and rope. It wasn't like they had, you know, typically. And so Jesus is sitting here, and part of the reason he asked for a drink was he didn't have her bucket and rope. And so she recognizes there's a physical issue here. Well, how are you going to give me water? Because you can't reach the water. All right, all right. She turns to the historical. Are you, uh, are you greater than Jacob? You think you're greater than Jacob? She goes from uh, the social to the physical to the historical. It's amazing how one question can spark so much conversation. <coughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Listen, if you want to hold a spiritual conversation, just ask the right question. I'm going to give you a free one. Can I give you a free one? Today, when you go out, or tomorrow, or whenever, and you have a server who's serving you, be kind to them. Even if they're no good, be kind to them. But you know what? Here's a great question you can ask. Hey, when you have a Sunday off, where do you go to church? It's a great conversation starter. You're not, you're, not, you know, you're not fronting up on them. You're not leaving them one of those $100 fake dollar bill gospel tracks. If I walk by and see one of those, if, if I walk by and see one of those, I'm picking it up myself because it offends me. I have been with people. I have been with Christian people who would put that on the table and not leave a tip. Thank you for blackening the eye of all of us. <coughs> Anywho, I digress. Jesus answered, <coughs> everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water 
welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. <clears throat> we see the arrival. We see uh, the rebuttal. And now we're going to see a reveal. Jesus gives her the most simple yet profound truth that he could give a person. He says, I'm the water of life. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been promised. It's me. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to be this lady in this moment at this place and to have this man tell you this truth? Now, we all sit here and we go, oh, well, yeah, it's Jesus. Of course I would have believed him. You've got thousands of years in biblical training. This is a Samaritan woman at a well all by herself. So we got to go a little easy. She isn't able to comprehend what Jesus is saying just yet. We were talking about the parable of the soils in, in Sunday school. You know what? Sometimes people just aren't ready yet to comprehend who Jesus really is. And you know what? That's okay. I got drugged to church for years and wasn't ready to comprehend who Jesus was. I used to sing some of the greatest songs ever written about the truth of the gospel and weep because my soul was so thirsty, but I wasn't yet ready. Church, it is not our place to judge whether the soil is ready. It's our place to cast the seed. Salvation is unto the Lord. And you say, well, Jimmy, I just get tired of casting seed. That is not your prerogative if you want to be obedient. Acts 1.8 says, you shall be my witness. It doesn't say, until you get tired. It doesn't say, until they listen. It doesn't say, until they clap their hands and call you righteous. Oh, thank you. You shall be my witness. How long? Until your little body packs it up or until Jesus comes. That's how long. And we talked about that sharing the gospel isn't just, isn't exclusively the proclamation of biblical truth. It's the way that we speak. It's the way that we act. It's the way that we think. All of those things. Everything we do either speaks to the gospel or something else. That's why we must be very mindful. She wasn't ready yet. Until January morning of 1987, I wasn't ready yet either. But praise God. Someone kept throwing the seeds. She is still thinking in the human context instead of a spiritual one. Do you see her? Well, give me this water. Why? Well, that I can be born again, that I can have my thirst quenched by only what God can do. No, she goes, give me this water that I might not have to come back to this well. Man, hook me up so I don't have to hoof it up here regularly. Perfectly normal, perfectly human. Amen? She wasn't quite ready yet. And you know what? There are many, 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 many in our world that just aren't quite ready. We used to have a word for them. We called them seekers. But the truth is, that's all of us. And ALF always needs to be a place where people can come and feel comfortable exploring the claims of Scripture. Huh. 
What a simple place. What an important place. The world's water is heavy, isn't it? You ever get tired of carrying the world's water? Politics, finances, blah, blah, blah. But the spring of living water that comes only through knowing Jesus Christ brings light and is light and life. You know why, in part, the world is so weary? It's because all they're doing is carrying the world's water. Fame, fortune, reputation, always having the next thing. My friends, when you meet Jesus on his terms and you receive the living water, it makes things lighter. And it brings life. When you seek to haul the world's water, all it brings is fatigue and frustration. But when you're carrying the water of eternal life, it'll bring rejuvenation when the world cannot even understand. It'll bring hope when the world cannot even understand. It'll bring sacrifice when the world cannot even understand. Living water always trumps the world's water. Now, it's a tragedy when those who have experienced the living water find themselves pursuing the world's water again. It's a tragedy, two reasons why. One, is nothing will ever equal the living water. Two, is this, is even if you get a little of the world's water, it just don't satisfy like it used to. You just, you know, listen, we all know how to sin. I know, Scott, we... Scott and I knew each other before we knew Jesus. That's all I'm going to say about this. But, but we know where, we know how, we know all those things. But you know what? It, just, it didn't satisfy then, thank God, and it would be less satisfying today. Why? Because we've tasted the living water. And the world's water. And so my question to each and every one of us is this. When... And where was your well? When and where was your well where Jesus met you? Mine's a church porch in 1987. As if it were yesterday. I've had peaks and I've had valleys. But I remember it. Do you remember your well? Does it still call your heart back to that place where in that moment of time, everything, you know, it was so astonishing to me. You know, when we see Paul and he was blinded, Saul was blinded, and then he he was made to see. In that moment for me, it was just like that. It was everything I had heard growing up as a child being taken to church. It was everything I had heard my little Appalachian Pentecostal grandmother tell to me. It was as if those things became real and I could see for the first time like never before. And let me say, when my sight became real, everything changed. If my father were here, he could testify to the instantaneousness. I was baptized that night, that night, 
And in between that salvation and that baptism, things begin to change in my personal life. There were some things in my life that I knew God was no bueno with. And they can testify that at my house, my parents' house, because I was broke, I didn't have enough money to pay attention. I had, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I had prodigaled. But they could testify to you that there was a big, a big black hefty bag. What a, what a, what a, why? Because God's spirit was speaking to my spirit already. And from the moment I started chunking stuff into that black plastic bag, things began to change. And they're still changing today. Because there was a well. Have you had your well? My friend, if you have not, why not today? If you have not, why not right now? Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens that door, I will come in. Today could be your well. I don't know. I'm just casting seeds. Why? Salvation is over the Lord. So we're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes for just a moment. And if today needs to be your well, I want you to whisper from your heart to the heart of God, God, I am desperately thirsty for the water only you can provide. Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah. Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus, I believe that by faith, through grace, and your completed works, I can be. And God, I ask that I would be saved. The Bible says, for by grace are we saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. My friend, if that's your whispered prayer from your heart to God's heart, my friend, you are sitting at your well, and you have tasted the living water that only Jesus can give you. Congratulations, the greatest decision of eternity for you. Now, if you're here or under the sound of my voice or listening to this podcast somewhere in the world, and this is not your day, you're sitting at the well, but you still see Jesus on a human plane, my friend, keep searching, keep looking, keep praying. If today is not your day, Keep walking, keep wanting. My friend, Jesus loves you and he wants you to be saved. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for my well. Jesus, I just thank you so much for all the places I took you before my well that when my mind, my heart, my hands, my feet, my eyes finally turned to you. Lord, I had nothing more to do than to turn around, and you were there. And Father, I thank you so much that not only were you there on that morning, but Lord, you've been there every day since. And Lord, there's nowhere I can go that you're not there. Lord, on the days that I feel intimate with you as my own breath, you were there. And, day, and Lord, on those days when I feel very far away, Lord, my feelings do not determine 
your location. Father, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we'll consider today our well and that we will respond by faith and not by sight. Father, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.